Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. Uh, I am your host, and you have landed. You have arrived at episode number 243. So pull up a chair, uh, kick up your feet, maybe go grab a cup of coffee, some tea, uh, whatever your drink of choice might be, and uh, join in on this conversation that I'm about to have with Pete Enns. Uh, Pete wrote a brand new book called Curveball. Uh, subtitle is When Your Faith Takes Turns You Never Saw Coming, or How I Stumbled and Tripped My Way to Finding a Bigger God. Uh, this book is so, it's so good. It's so important. It's so helpful. Uh, I think especially for our uh, listener base here at the What If Project. Uh, the podcast, our podcast, right, explores the question, what if there are ways of thinking about God and faith and the Bible and all the things that are that are different, bigger, uh, way more crazy than our, we ever thought possible, right? What, what if these things? What if there's different ways to understand this stuff than what our traditions have handed us? And at the heart of it, that's what curveball. That's what this book is about because we're all stumbling and tripping our way to finding a bigger understanding of God, a bigger understanding of faith and of the Bible and all these different things than what we were handed over the course of our lives. And for many of us, probably for all of us, uh, that stumbling and tripping starts with a curveball, right? Because to, to use a baseball, obviously a baseball analogy, uh, life has this way, right? Like it's throwing you fastballs down the middle, like just lobbing them in there. And they look like beach balls, right? Like I could hit that with a toothpick, right? And you're like Aaron Judge last summer, just smashing home runs all over the place, easy peasy, making life look like it's a piece of cake. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, life throws you this this curveball. And it looks like for a minute it's going to hit you, then it dips down across the plate and you swing at it and you miss, right? How in the world do I hit this thing, this curveball that you never saw coming? And it's those instances, those moments that cause us to rethink uh, our understanding of God, the Bible, maybe various theologies, whatever. And so in the book and, and even on the show, Pete talks about some of the uh, instances in his life some of the curveballs in his life that have caused him to rethink various aspects of his faith. And I love this conversation because I had a whole lot of things planned that I wanted to ask Pete, uh, but the conversation kind of organically took on a life of its own. <laughs> and you get that sense in the beginning, uh, we talk a little bit about baseball. We're both Yankee fans, so we talk about baseball and bust on the Astros a little bit because we both have issues with the Astros. Pete wore his hat, Yankee hat, uh, on the recording, if you look at the video on YouTube, he's got it on backwards, like I wear my hat. And so he had his Yankee hat on, had my heretic hat on, I think, backwards, had my Yankee shirt on. It was just a good time. And it was just like, it was literally just like a hanging out with a friend over coffee. And the conversation just kind of went in its own direction. We, we went down the rabbit hole of uh, the problem of evil and talked a little bit about that. And uh, it, it was just a really good conversation. I, I think you're really going to enjoy this, find it helpful. Please get the book. I will put the book in the show notes along with Pete's other links as well. Also in the show notes is my book, uh, Rethinking Everything. And it's it's a book about my spiritual journey from this world of black and white thinking to a 
uh, great wide world of color. And, and really, it's a book about my own curveballs, right? And how different curveballs in my life have caused me to rethink things like the doctrine of hell, uh, the doctrine of inerrancy, the atonement, and Jesus, and the cross, and all these different kinds of things. And so I'll put that book in the show notes as well. And uh, lastly, in the show notes is Patreon. Patreon is a place where you can support the show financially. There's various tiers uh, that you can jump into, and every tier gets its own reward. And the reward for every tier is the same. And the reward is entrance into a, a really fun community of people who are doing life together, uh, trying to hit curveballs together uh, to keep going with the analogy of Pete's book. Uh, but we're all we're all just trying to get through life together and understand God together. And uh, we have a Discord group that chat throughout the course of the week. Uh, every day it's active in there in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we have a monthly, sometimes bi-monthly uh, Zoom gathering where everybody hops on Zoom and uh, we just talk about life or uh, maybe various questions that we're wrestling with or whatever. Uh, last month in uh, January, we actually had people from uh, Canada. We had people from various spots in the U.S., uh, West Coast, East Coast, and Central. We had somebody from Malaysia. We had somebody from Honduras. Uh, in the past, we've had people from U.K., Norway. Uh, we have people in Australia. It, it's really cool. I mean, just wild to me that this podcast has brought people together from literally all over the world, and we hop on video and we talk to each other like we're all friends. And uh, people have messaged me after these meetings and said to me, like, I'm so thankful because I literally don't have anybody to talk to about this kind of stuff in my life, and this just makes me feel much less alone in my journey. So if that's something you want to be part of, please click the link, go visit uh, Patreon. Uh, tiers start at $3 a month and go up to really whatever it is that you are able or want to pay. And I always tell people this too, and I'll tell you this now, it's not about the money. The money helps us because it's a stream of our income. It helps pay the bills, things like that. But if you want community and you don't have $3 a month to give, I get it because I've we're there. <laughs> I've been there. I, I get it. And so if you can't do $3 a month but you want the community, just send me a message. Uh, no questions asked by me. Uh, I'll probably just ask your email address, things like that, so I can get you in. But happy to put you into the community, invite you to the Zoom chats, things like that, uh, without paying even a dime ever. And so if that's something you need, just let me know, and uh, it'll be an automatic yes from me. So anyway, all the links, again, are in the show notes. This is episode 243 with Pete Enns, and let's go talk about some curveballs. Enjoy. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It gonna get started, we can do what we wanna way up. Wake up, wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Way up, way up, wake up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open. Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token. Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken. Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slow grind. Anything I put my mind up to, I'm bound to be mine. Best to get it by my way. Follow suit, don't fall the line. Hope you gotta, hope you get it. Go and check the guidelines, yo. Yeah. 
Hey everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Today we're sitting down with the uh, up-and-coming writer who practically yeah. begged me to come on the show to get some airtime. Uh, the one and the only Pete Ends. Pete, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. <laughs> Thanks. It's good to be here. And your hat. Your hat is backwards. Well, like you know, mine, you know. Is this better? Can I just do this for a while? Or yeah, you could do that. I mean, that's. I mean, the... people don't take me seriously as it is, but whatever. I don't What's care. It? We'll have them take you less seriously now, just like me. I know. I just want to. You know, I figured one in Rome. You know, just wear the backwards hat. Absolutely, and it's and, a Yankee uh, hat, which is the only way to go. It is. I know it's a Yankee hat. So yeah, mine is. Do I have a Yankee shirt on, by the way? So we... oh, good. Yeah, uh, that, that... Th that will get people mad at us, though. Yeah, well, we'll get into that later. We'll get into some baseball talk. Okay. In a little while. It, it, just a little and bit. Marmalade's here, her tail. So my cat Pixie might or may not may or may not make an appearance. So we'll we'll see. Marmalade, I swear, she she there's something about me sitting down and talking that she's always here. She just hears yep. it and then she's oh, I guess you want me. Yep. Marmalade, I could be on you want to be in the shot or what? Yeah, I could be on the phone and like the other floor of the house and the cat will yeah. come downstairs. That's always <laughs> yeah. the way that it is. That's a weird. Right, so, so Pete, you have, a, you have a new book coming out. And by the, time it, by the time this airs, it's already going to be out stirring oh, cool. stirring trouble up in all sorts of places, I'm sure. Uh, but the book is called Curveball and the subtitle is like a page long. Yeah, <laughs> it's chapter you want, one of the book. The you want to tell us the, the subtitle? Did you, did you memorize it? I think so. Um, when your faith takes turns you didn't see coming, or how I stumbled, and what's the other word? Stumbled in something. Tripped. Stumbled and tripped my way to a bigger and better God. There you go. I'll give you 90%. You got pretty much all of it right. Okay. That's hard. I don't know the <laughs> subtitles of any book that I've written because they're just too long. And But it is not, I mean, it is nice when people actually know what the book's about by reading the cover. There you go. Did you try to beat Rob Bell's subtitles by making no. it really long? <laughs> his tend to go really long sometimes <laughs> uh, brian mclaren's got a couple long ones too you yes. know so yeah yeah i just want to say as much as i can so people are like oh what's this about it's <laughs> just explaining the whole curveball idea might not be obvious you know yeah so. definitely all right well tell us about the book i mean who is this book for why'd you write it how is it different than like the sin of certainty bible tells uh -huh. me so what makes this book so unique um i think this is a book. First of all, it comes out of my a lot of my own experiences, so it's mm -hmm. probably the most memoirish of yeah. the books, even though it's not a memoir or anything. Mm -hmm. But um, I, the gist of the book is basically this: life throws us curveballs that challenge how we think about God, that challenges our faith. It happens all the time. It's normal. It's to be expected. Mm -hmm. And what they do, in effect, is actually move us toward, I'm, I'm getting to the big point here, moving us toward the point of accepting the mystery of God and my own personal experiences, plus contemplating things like the nature of science and things like that has really driven me to really think differently about God over the years. And so yeah. this is, some of these things have been percolating for 40 years mm. that I talk about, and, and even longer that I talk about in this book. And the 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 gist of it is that our experiences are very, very important to our lives, which is like the stupidest statement I ever made in my life. Of course, <laughs> what's our lives without our experiences? Right. But I know so many people have been taught that your experience means nothing. Yeah. You're just a sinful person. Who cares about your experience? But words like experience and intuition show up an awful lot in this book. And 
things happen in life that mm-hmm. just, you know, I used to think about God this way, yeah. but I don't think about God that way anymore. I can't, it makes no sense. Yeah. And I think those are actually sacred moments and not problems to be overcome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, curveballs, like, I mean, that's like a perfect word to describe those situations that come into our lives. And I think, I think we have to make like an Astros joke because I mean, the book is perfect for everybody unless you're the Astros because you know, the curveball is coming. I know it's very easy to hit it when it's coming. (laughs) I'm why didn't I think of that? And I'm sort of glad that I did because I would have put it in there someplace and just You'd have gotten more trouble than you're already lost get in. book sales in Texas. Right. <laughs> and only in Texas, I might add, because nobody else likes the Astros. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Hopefully nobody in Texas listened to this. But uh, anyway, so in the book, uh, you talk about uh, all these these different curveballs that that life has thrown at you and how these curveballs sort of set the stage for you to uh, rethink some aspect of your faith or your theology, whatever. So I was wondering... Could you take us into one of those stories uh, and then we'll go down some kind of rabbit hole and kind of see where the conversation goes. But maybe talk to us sure. about like where you were in regards to some aspect of your faith, how this particular curveball came into your life and then how your faith started to shift and change as a result. Well, I have um, two, I mean, two brief stories that are interconnected that I think get at the same point. And one was just during my times in graduate school uh, at, at Harvard. And, you know, I was never really a black and white person. Like I, I was not, I didn't enter graduate school in any way a fundamentalist, but I still had pretty, I'd say centrist evangelical leanings on some issues. And mm-hmm. the, the issue for me that really was, was something that I really, it stunned me and I had to stop and rethink a lot of stuff it wasn't what we learned in the classes. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, Abraham might not have been a real person. I mean, you sort of look at that, you get over it after a while, or, you know, the difficulties with the Bible from a historical point of view. The The real challenge for me was meeting people who didn't know anything about what I believed. And you couldn't have expected them to, because some were from Israel and all over the place. And they were also like the nicest people I ever met, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I've learned more from a couple of my professors there, Jewish professors about the Bible than I learned from any Christian. And I learned a lot from Christians, you know, in yeah. seminary, I'm, I'm not, I'm not slighting them at all, but this mm-hmm. is like another level of understanding. Mm-hmm. And my classmates were just so wonderful. And I hung out with them and, you know, I would trust them to watch my children. And I can't always say that about Christians, which sounds really like a cheap shot, but it's true. It's just, mm-hmm. I just sometimes feel uncomfortable with, are you going to like make my five-year-old do a Bible study while we're gone and, and whatever. So <laughs> give them a reason to get therapy later on in right. life. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just um, uh, had these experiences of people in graduate school who were ju- wonderful human beings mm-hmm. and the whole facade about how my the categories of my existence like there are two kinds of people people like me mm-hmm. and everybody else mm-hmm. and believing like i do right but these people knew nothing about that and that's when i started really thinking about what the, the big question that came up is what is god like yeah and how does god look on these other people who are different than me who don't belong in my tribe mm-hmm. and you know related to that about 20 years later I'm, I was still struggling with the same stuff. This is like in my um, late 40s or so, early 50s, maybe. I was 
in a taxi in San Francisco on the way to uh, talk to people in a church about God in exchange for money because I'm the expert, right? right? And I'm in a traffic jam in 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 middle of San Francisco. Each light, you just stopped. And I just started daydreaming. I looked around and I saw all these people. Hmm. And I thought to myself, how many of these people think about God the way I do? Yeah. Frankly, how many of these people think about God at all? Right. How many of these people would not care at all about you know, these very important things that I have to say to this church over, over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And again, it got me thinking about the lines that I draw between myself and other human beings very, very quickly, mm -hmm. religious lines about how God can't care about these other people because they're not like me. And all this stuff was swirling in my head literally over like 10 seconds. The, these things were happening to me. And, and, you know, we kept stopping in traffic. Like it took forever. Like I was trapped. Right. I was trapped with my own thoughts, which right. is a horrible place to be trapped. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I don't know what God does mm -hmm. with people. What do I know? Well, and what right do I have to draw these lines? Even though you can find passages in the Bible where lines are drawn, there are other places where they're not drawn as clearly. And yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, one more story that I talk about in this book, too. Um, and I, this is something that came out in my book, The Sin of Certainty, but it was watching The Bridge to Terabithia, which is a Disney movie you know, made out of a book. And um, long story short, uh, there was one of the characters there who is a sort of a free-thinking young girl, maybe like 10 years old or so, and she's got a couple of friends who are like fundamentalists from Virginia, but she's, <laughs> she's listens to NPR. She's nothing like that at all. But she's really fascinated by Christianity, and her friends told her, well, you know, Christianity is all about the Bible and going to hell if you don't believe it. And she said, I, I don't believe that at all. I mean, mm -hmm. do you think God is really interested in throwing people into hell? He's too busy mm -hmm. running all of this. And she looks up and there's a beautiful sky and the trees and things like that. And that's one of these moments. I watched that on an airplane coming home from an academic conference. And mm -hmm. she uttered what I had been thinking deep down, but couldn't really say to myself. Yeah. So uh, these three experiences sort of came together at different parts of my life that made me think maybe God is not the exclusive property of people who happen to have been born in the West, yeah. happen to be white males mm -hmm. with you know education and stuff like that. So th that's the kind of stuff that I talk about in this book, my own experiences and how I process them without people thinking like they have to process these things exactly the way that I did. I'm, sure. However people process this stuff is fine. Sure. I'm just thinking th this, this is my, these are my experiences. This is how I thought through them. These are the differences that they made in how I understand God. And in that sense, those curveballs and learning to adjust to the curveballs of life, yeah. if I can carry through with the analogy, it makes you a better hitter. It keeps yeah. you in the game longer. It's yeah. it's if you don't adjust, you can't play. Yeah. If you're well, always you looking can do for a fastball fastballs. down the middle, you'll never get it, right? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. They're going to throw you something else. Yeah. I mean, there's so you have so many stories in the book, which is why I think is like you said, it's very memoirish. But as I was reading your stories, it really caused me to think about my own stories as well. And so I was wondering, do you mind if I share a story with you? Not that at all. Your, your stories kind of brought up in me, and then maybe you can respond with some God-ordained wisdom okay. <laughs> for me. But I grew up in, similar to your, you, like very conservative 
evangelical, like fundamentalist world. And I was in like this tightest, tightest of church bubbles. And it was like so tight that until I graduated from seminary and I started working at Starbucks and Apple, where I worked for 11 years, I had never, ever, ever met a gay person. Like not, uh-huh. not one person who was gay ever. And all I was ever told about gay people was that Leviticus says they're detestable. Uh, Paul says that they're destined for hell and God wants something to do with them. Like all they think about is sex. All they do is have sex. They want to take over our society. They want to warp the minds of our kids. The gay agenda was like a regular part of my vocabulary. But then I got to Starbucks and I got to, and especially to Apple for those 11 years. And I became friends with people who, who are gay. And one of my best friends today is is a lesbian. And I can remember when uh, like managers, we, we had a we had a meeting before the store would open every day. And our managers said to us that we have one of our colleagues who's going to be out for a few months and uh, their pronouns are he, him. But when they come back, it'll be they'll be she, her They'll have a new name and also will look a little bit different. And I remember I think to myself, this just blew my mind because like I never yeah. met anybody like this before, but I became close to these people. I heard their stories. I saw them cry. I saw them laugh. I even on occasion heard them pray. And all of a sudden, like I began to realize that what I thought was this easy fastball down the middle, all gay people make God mad. They're all going to hell. Next question. All of a sudden this topic, yeah, it became this like massive curveball. And I had to rethink like so many different things, like the inclusive nature of God and and what Mm -hmm. is hell? Is that that even a real place? Is God sending these people to hell, like human sexuality, like all these things? Because again, what I thought was this easy answer all of a sudden had a whole bunch of convoluted angles to it that I had to really rethink. So that's Mm -hmm. just like one of the many things that came up in my mind when I was reading your book. And I just wanted to share it with you. Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate that. I have a similar story later in the book about uh, that very same issue. And mm-hmm. the, um, you know, a curveball is not something that is a little bump in the road. Mm-hmm. It's it's very disorienting. You know, yeah. I went through the whole book. I didn't use the word deconstruction once. Yeah, I noticed that. But for those who have ears to hear, <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what I'm talking about in some respects. But um you know, it's th- these are things that actually make you question your narrative, yeah, deeply, yeah. And guess what? It can be a little bit frightening to do yeah. that, and mm-hmm. at least very unsettling. So, um, I I did um, relay the story of um, Robert Portman, who was an Ohio congressman and then later senator. And I think this was in 2013 or 14, but uh, his son came out to him as gay. Mm. And he was, a you know, a fairly conservative Republican politician mm. who had been, you know, publicly very much against same-sex marriage. But it mm. took a little while. But after his son came out to him, he released a statement basically saying, I used to think this, mm-hmm. but then something happened to me. That's the curveball, right? Yeah. Something happened to me. Yep. And now I think very, very differently about this. Yeah. And it struck me that it's not just he didn't Portman didn't just change his view on human sexuality. He actually changed his view about God. Yeah. Because what he was convinced God was so much against. Yeah. Now he says, I don't think that's true anymore. Yeah. And what drove him to that conclusion, not a Bible verse, but his experience. Yeah. And you know, we both know, Glenn, that you know if we said this in certain quarters, what well, his experience 
contradicted his theology, then the obvious answer is, well, your experience is wrong because it never contradicts your theology. Right. But one of the sub-themes of this book is that, no, our experience is central to how we engage our theology. Yeah. Because we're embodied people culturally, and we always have to be thinking about what does this gospel mean now? Yeah. And sometimes you have to change what you inherited from the faith of others or the faith of your parents or whatever. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, the, the one of the, I mean, the, I think the biggest curveball probably in my life to date was when, when my daughter was born and we had to bring her to the NICU. Hmm. And I remember my wife was, she was out cold and they're, they're telling me the baby's got to go to the NICU. And I'm like, in my mind having this major anxiety attack. And so I'm chasing them down the hallway. They're going hundred miles an hour. You get this baby in the tank. They're like, you can stick your hands in the tank. I stick my hand in the tank. She grabs my finger and my theology fell apart because mm-hmm. up to that point, it was all about original sin and all these different things. I remember oh, looking yeah, at this yeah. little baby who's got her hand wrapped around my finger. I'm like, how in the world could God look at this child and think it's it's sinful? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I remember mm-hmm. I had this conversation with my wife on her way home from the hospital. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And it just right. it just unraveled so many things in my head. But like you said, it's that that experience is so tied to our theology that the two the two things influence each other so much. They have right. to. And then it forces you to go back, for example, and you know, one thing that happens very commonly, you go back and you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, and two I think I think two things happen. Sometimes you say to yourself, you know, what I thought was there might not really be there. Mm-hmm. And you know, a good example of that is original sin in the book of Genesis. There is no original sin in the Augustinian sense that like, because of Adam and Eve, any babies that they had in subsequent generations, Mm -hmm. this stain of sin is sort of embedded in them. Mm -hmm. You don't get that from the Hebrew Bible at all. It's not there. But the other thing that happens is that, well, you realize that there are some parts of the Bible that actually do affirm in some sense what you're questioning. Mm -hmm. And then the issue is, well, what do you do then? And I think what has made Christian, the- and I'm going to say Jewish theology as well, what's made them go for the past 2,000 years is people willing to say, I know this ancient text says this, but I can't articulate God that way, not in this, not where I am. It makes no sense. It's almost yeah. an affront to reason, yeah. you know, issue X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. That's the tricky part. And I think what I'm trying to say in this book is that it's okay to debate with your theology and find and change your theology yeah. on the basis of your humanity, yeah. which I think God honors. And yeah. that doesn't mean whatever you happen to think after some bad shrimp is absolutely true. <laughs> it's just you're living with the reality of your existence and you're trying to make sense and you're having a conversation between your life today and a very ancient text with a very long tradition um, after it. Yeah. And you're trying to engage those things responsibly. I think that's fun. I think that's enjoyable to do. Mm-hmm. But your theology changes as a result of that. And yeah. the, the very thing we're told should never, ever change. Well, what it does, it has to. Yeah. You have a quote on page 46. It's a perfect segue. Um, I want to read it for our listeners. Well, you He's, did read this, didn't you? I did. I'm going to quiz. Now I'm going to quiz even more, not just the subtitle, Pete. <laughs> Page 46. What's it say? <laughs> <You're right. laughs> uh, you say, uh, I am simply pointing out that making adjustments in understanding God is part of the biblical tradition. 
And as the centuries passed, Jews would make many adjustments of their views of God in order to adapt to the realities of their world. Uh, adjustments to their views of God. I was wondering if you could talk to us more about what that what that means. Maybe give us an example or two of how the Jews did this, like an example in the Bible of how they did this, like mm -hmm. when they were confronted with their own curveballs, how those curveballs kind of helped them push or evolve their understanding of God. Because I think like you, like me, like a lot of our listeners come from this world where the Bible is very clear. It's a very clear explanation of God and there's no reason for adjustments. But right. in the book, you have this, you have, you tell this beautiful story really of how the Jewish people had to constantly update or adjust their views of God based upon the circumstances that were coming their way. So right. maybe an example of that. Well, I mean, one example from within the Hebrew Bible itself mm -hmm. is a story everybody knows is a story of Jonah. Mm -hmm. And there the question is, what does God think of the wicked Assyrians? And the the point of the book of Jonah is not Jonah being swallowed by a whale or a fish. The point mm -hmm. is God cares about Israel's arch enemies too. And that is an adjustment because you're not going to find sympathy for the Assyrians in the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. You're just not going to find like, God loves them so much. God wants them to repent of their sins. He wants to save them, right? In mm -hmm. and, and, um, the book of Nahum, which is just two books away from Jonah, it, that's the more standard approach there because there, the, town, the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was destroyed by the Babylonians in 612 BCE. Mm -hmm. And this book is about how great God is for finally teaching these Assyrians a lesson because they were horrible people. And they were. I mean, let's mm -hmm. not kid ourselves. They were sort of like the ISIS of the day. And, and they're the ones who took the northern kingdom captive and into exile, never to be heard from again. That happened in 722. And so Nahum is writing about 100 years later, and he has this prophecy about you know, God's happy. God, in fact, did this. Mm. And the, the book ends with um, everyone is sort of clapping their hands. It's sort of like a cosmic high five, because mm. finally the Assyrians are out of the picture. And so when God tells Jonah, which, by the way, Jonah is almost certainly a post-exilic book. It's written after the Babylonian captivity, mm. where the Judahites had a lot of experiences with people outside of their tribe. They lived next to them for 50 years or so, mm. sort of like me in a taxi cab or <laughs> me going to graduate school. It's like you're, you're forced into a situation where you have mm. to think. And there, Jonah is told to go preach repentance to the Ninevites, and he wants nothing to do with it. He runs away, gets on a ship. He even tries to commit suicide by by being thrown overboard, telling, just mm -hmm. throw me overboard. But God says, he'll have none of that, and mm -hmm. you know provides a fish to swallow him, where he goes down into Sheol, which is the abode of the dead, comes back up again, and is vomited out onto the shore, mm -hmm. which is sort of like a resurrection story, in a sense. And he's He has to be transformed to do this, because it's so against his character, mm -hmm. but he's still not with it. He doesn't like it at all. And he just complains the rest of the time. And the fact is that his preaching, his his sermon, which is the shortest evangelistic sermon ever in the history of humanity, and basically it's um, 40 days and, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Hmm. And that was, a, there was no prophetic like, the Lord, thus says the Lord, if you don't repent, God will do excellent. There's no chance for <laughs> repentance, no anything, just Nothing. here's the bad news, here's what's happening. And they all repent. Hmm. And this is why it's such a great story story. It's not a historical account. This this is parabolic. This is a story because everyone from the king down to the cattle repent. Mm. 
Yeah. It's almost comical. It's a parody. Uh, mm. Jonah's called a parody. It's it's a wonderful story. Um, and J that's exactly what Jonah was afraid of. And he sort of mopes it to the very end of the book where God finally says, listen, why shouldn't I care about these people? Mm. And I think what we're seeing there is maybe Israel changing its, at least this Israelite changing mm -hmm. his views, and this makes it into the Bible, about what does God think of people who aren't like us? Mm. And so you have these two juxtaposed opinions, and Nahum and Jonah, two books apart from each other, mm. and they utter something very different about God. And for me, th this is one of the themes of the sin of certainty. I bring this out a mm. little bit, but I develop it a lot more here, that this is a model for us. Mm -hmm. This is part of our scriptural tradition embraces these curveballs and how they were handled. And there are many, many other examples. And then there are examples with the New Testament vis-a-vis -vis the Jewish tradition that preceded it and how those things change. I mean, adjusting to curveballs is what is how Christianity got started. Yeah. You know, it just, yeah. I, I, it's fascinating to me. And I think the reason is not because, you know, God can't communicate clearly in the Bible. It's just mm -hmm. that we have people writing this stuff, and I'm going to say this, out of their own experiences. Mm -hmm. While they're inspired by God, fine. They're inspired by God to write about their own experiences. And we have this. This is part of our scriptural tradition. And for me, the huge takeaway from all this is God is always out ahead of us. God is bigger than we are. We cannot mm -hmm. even fathom the mystery of God. And so when I'm stuck in a taxi, thinking about the glorious words that I'm going to impart on people talking about this <laughs> God, it just makes me smile a little bit, yeah. right? I can handle the Bible, right? The Bible is like a different kind of thing, but now we're talking about God. And that's the big difference in this book, by the way. I'm, I talk about, it's about God. It's not yeah. really about the Bible. The Bible comes into it a lot, but it's yeah. more about my experience of God and how my understanding of God has changed as a result of a whole lot of things. Yeah. So would you think, is it fair to say then, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but the Bible then is is kind of like a, almost like a, a visual picture of what it looks like for somebody's relationship with God, somebody's understanding of God to evolve and change over the course of time. Because when you look at the Old Testament, for instance, I think you see multiple views of what God looks like. You see God being angry. You see God being merciful. You see God being full of grace. You see God excluding some. You see God committing genocide. You see God welcoming people. Like You see all these different kind of things. It almost seems to me it's like these, these writers are just trying to flesh out what how they're understanding God based upon the experiences mm -hmm. that they had. And that culminates in a way in the person of Jesus, I think, in the way that the gospel writers kind of formulated their ideas about Jesus. I think we see almost like a maybe a, a high point of how, or I guess like a progression maybe of how people began to understand God and it culminated in Jesus. I don't know. I just, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really changing the way that I see the Bible nowadays. I just see it the, the the whole idea of like is this historical record did these things really happen seems right. like it's just a very uninteresting question to me nowadays mm -hmm. the more interesting question is why did these stories endure for so long and how can i take right. my place in these stories and begin to formulate and evolve my own thoughts about god right and some of the stories are not helpful <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just, I, I mean very I, blunt. I, I joke <laughs> around <true. laughs> i joke around with my students about how 
I just don't recommend Second Kings for quiet time reading, you know. <laughs> and it's not like it's bad. I, I find right. it fascinating, but it's like one king after another is a disaster, except for yeah. Josiah and Hezekiah a little bit. And okay, I get it. Yeah, the monarchy was a disaster. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to do with this, but <laughs> that but that's because I try to remember then. Okay, well, why did they write the story this way? Yeah. Why does Chronicles come along and rewrite the story very, very differently? Mm -hmm. Those are two. That's a, that's another huge example yeah. of re-portraying God based on their own historical, cultural circumstances, yeah. which is us too. You yeah. know, well, you're not inspired. I know, but I'm still human. And does right. God love us or not? So. And, and does our experience matter? Does God look gently on us with how we perceive the world and the conclusions we draw, just like a good parent, like you with your daughter, right, will look gently on them yeah. when they're doing their best to figure it out. And, you know, we're like children in that sense. We're just trying to figure it out. And I definitely agree with you that I think what we're seeing in the Bible is biblical the biblical writers are working it out, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> you know, um, as a friend of mine says, winging it in the spirit is <laughs> sort of what they seem to be doing. Yeah. And even Christians, we get to like, well, in, but in Jesus, it's all crystallized. But, you know, guys, there are four gospels yeah. and the gospel writers are trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. And they don't see things the same way. And then you have a very strong-headed Paul who seems to have some very strong disagreements with Peter and James. And, yeah. you know, the book of James seems to articulate those those differences, as does Galatians, you know, that Paul wrote. And I just think, okay, listen, this is, this is our tradition. Yeah. Our tradition is we're trying to articulate the mystery of God in our language, in the language that we have. Yeah. You know, that's, I think the Bible as a whole, let me speak as a Christian here, you know, the Bible as a whole, Old and New Testament, I think it bears witness to what God has done in Christ. Mm -hmm. Sort of a bald statement. Mm -hmm. But where it gets interesting is that that witness bearing is very diverse mm -hmm. and very culturally guided and determined. And it's spoken in an ancient idiom. Yeah. So that now it comes to us, you know, what do we do as yeah. we're, you know, trying to be fathers, we're at different stages of that, or trying to be husbands or whatever, or just trying to live in our neighborhood or go to work or whatever. What mm -hmm. does it look like for us to do that? And I don't think the answer to that is okay, go back to something that's very old and just simply reproduce that. Yeah. We engage that. We yeah. we don't we don't lose um we don't we don't jettison the tradition, mm -hmm. but we also have to acknowledge that we're part of creating that tradition and moving it forward. Yeah, I think it's when you when you get to a place where you see yourself as taking your place in this long line of people who have done this, I think it just brings something very different to your Christianity, to your faith, to your walk with God. Um, when you see yourself as taking a place in that as opposed to these people did it right and I have to mimic everything they did. I just right. you lose something in that, I think. So one of the questions, Pete, that I, I wanted to ask you, and this this came up for me while I, I was reading. I feel like the, I don't know, the the elephant in the room with with, with this sort of conversation that kind of runs parallel to curveballs is 
like the problem of evil, right? Like yeah. why, why do bad things happen? Why does evil exist in the world? Because for some people like curveballs are a cancer diagnosis. It's a abusive relationship. It's the unexpected loss of a child. It's a divorce. And it's these, these things that leave us in this, this wreckage trying to figure out like how to pick up the pieces. I was mm -hmm. wondering if you could speak a little bit about the connection between these curveballs and the problem of evil, and maybe even how your own thoughts regarding that topic have evolved over the course of your of your life. Right. I think I think some curveballs are different than others. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if my family had, let's say, lost their lives in a car wreck twenty years ago, yeah. right? Um, that's a different topic, really, yeah. than this thing happened to me that really made me like, I talk about science a lot, you know, in the mm -hmm. book, maybe we can get into that a little bit later, but yeah. um, you know, that's made me think differently about God. I don't, some of these issues are not issues of evil or just mm -hmm. very harmful things, but they're there. Yeah. And I think that for, for at least for me, I can't solve this problem of evil. This is a perennial problem. Um, have you ever had Tom Ord? On, on the I have. Podcast. He's been yeah. he's my go-to theologian for questions for that this. rock my yeah. world. <laughs> and I, I I think what he says is very intriguing and it yeah. makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um the way I sort of just think through it is that our our universe seems to hold a very significant place for suffering. Yeah. And for death. Yeah. Whether it's on the cosmic level or on the biological level or on the geological level. It seems to be baked into our existence. I don't know what we can do about it. I just know that when we say that God is love, mm -hmm. that would seem to preclude God micromanaging things yeah. and not respecting, boy, we're getting into a lot here, not <laughs> respecting the evolutionary process where suffering is baked into it. You know, yeah. I, I just, that's the way, that's a basic framework that has to be unpacked. And mm -hmm. I like talking to people who have thought about that a lot more than I have. Yeah. But it's a real issue. I, I don't, I don't skirt that as a real theological problem. And I'm, you know, I'm thankful for people like Tom to to have thought through this so, so carefully. And, and as a result, you know, I think the problem of evil for Tom was its own curveball for him mm -hmm. and thinking yeah. through and his views of God changed as a result of thinking through that. So yeah. that's an example that illustrates, you know, um, and I don't have all the experiences other people have. So sure. I need to listen to what people are saying yeah. when they're really thoughtful about stuff. And it doesn't matter who they are. Yeah. And I, I, the reason I asked that is because as I was, again, I was reading your book, I was thinking about my own life circumstances and even things that people have asked me through email and stuff like that. And one of the big one of the big things that happened in my life was when my wife and I, we had a miscarriage before our daughter was born. And again, like up until that point, like everything was very black and white. Everything was very, you know, very easy the way the universe worked and, you know, things happen and, you know, life happened, but, you know, we just deal with it kind of thing. And I remember when we had this experience and I went to the car to get the car to pick up my wife at the hospital, I was screaming at God. Like I was just, I just yeah. lost my mind in the car. Sure. And I was just like, I can't believe that you would allow this to happen. Like I've, I've hit all the right buttons on the vending machine. You know, I went to Bible college. I went to seminary, a pastor, did all these different things. What else like, do you want from me? Yeah. What do you want from my life? You know? And for me, like that event, again, was just a big, it, it for me, it felt like a curveball because it was not at all what I was expecting. I was expecting everything just to go 
perfectly normal and everything. We were going to go home, you know, eventually have a baby, go home, everything will be fine. And now here I am, like nothing worked the way I thought it was going to work. And again, it caused me to rethink a whole bunch of different pieces of my theology. And uh, yeah, yeah, everything just kind of exploded. <laughs> and I think, you know, pain does that. Yes. And yeah. of course, you know, I know that I know you don't think this, but for anybody listening, mm -hmm. God didn't cause the miscarriage. Right. For God's glory. That's right. It's just stuff that happens. Yep. You know, and I, and I hate to put, well, I mean, God's not in control. I don't think God's in control in the way that we think of God as being in control, like yeah. micromanaging everything, like every rape, every yeah. every trafficking, every, um, you know, village that's wiped out by terrorists going through it. That's ordained by God. Yeah. I don't think that's ordained by God at all. Yeah. Now, the question is, why doesn't God do something about it? Okay, good question. Excellent yeah. question. Yeah. But I'd rather deal with that question than the question of, well, why does God allow or even cause these things to happen? And yeah. to me, that makes a terrible deity. And and yeah. that's why and it's, it's I, I really try to be careful about this because I don't ever want it to become sort of an escape clause. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the, the more I think about this stuff, the more I can't get away from the word mystery. Mm. I just I just can't. When we're dealing with God, there's mystery involved. I want to probe some of those mysteries. I want to try to draw some conclusions. But the nature of God yeah. is, I mean, that's everything. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. All I know is that God has gotten a lot bigger for me over the last few decades. Yeah. And I think that's the, I mean, you like you talk about these curveballs <clears throat> bring us closer to the mystery a deeper into the mystery of God, as opposed to helping us think more about the Bible. It's more about God and about the mystery of God. And I think for me, thinking about that, that miscarriage, when I had Tom on the show, I, I brought him on specifically to ask him to help me process this, this event that happened in my life. And he said, you know, more or less, like I, we don't know why things happen other than the fact that we live in this universe where these things do happen. Right. He said, but like you just said, God didn't cause it but God was with you in the midst of it. And if you can change kind of the way you, the lens through which you're viewing the circumstance, it can really alter your relationship with God, your relationship with the divine as you move forward right. in your life. And that was spot on. Absolutely correct. And I, and I agree with that. And I think, you know, putting my own little flavor into that, it's, mm -hmm. um, there is something about the gospel where God enters into human suffering. Yeah. Whatever that means, again, another mystery, the incarnation. Let's not get started on that. That's just a big <laughs> issue. I don't want to, I can't, I can't yeah. wrap my head around that either. But yeah. Christianity is a religion where God participates in some way in a a heinous act of violence, yeah. which is also very a humiliating act of violence. Yeah. And Again, that doesn't like answer the questions like, but why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. All I know is there's something about the nature of God that participates in that suffering with us. Yeah. And you know, I I mean that that's worth at least thinking about, yeah. you know. I, I the whole portrayal. Um what's his name? Uh I forgot his For, uh William Placker, who died a few years ago, he was a Presbyterian theologian has this wonderful book, Narratives of a Vulnerable God. Mm. And he says that God's primary characteristic, biblically speaking, 
is vulnerability, not sovereignty, not power, not mm. omniscience, but vulnerability, mm. which I think falls right in line with what Tom Ord is saying with the God of love and 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 a and more of an intimate relationship with creation. Yeah. And it, that still leaves me with questions, yeah. but there are questions that I'm more interested in pursuing yeah. and some other kinds of questions. All right. Last thing, Pete, you mentioned about science. Um, yeah. You mentioned about how science uh, has thrown some curveballs into your into your thinking, and we don't have too much time to dabble into the depths of, of it, but can you give us like a an, a quick look at what you're talking about in the book regarding science and, and faith? Yeah, just, I mean, very briefly, I do touch on like cultural anthropology and evolution, mm-hmm. how long human beings have been here. And, um, you know, people like us have been 6,000 years, right? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> people like human, like, you know, Homo sapiens have been around. Um, I mean, Homo sapiens took over around 45 million years ago or something mm. like that. But they've sort of been this, this branching off has been going on as far back as 300,000 years ago. And the biblical tradition is only 3,000 years old. Mm. So that's 1%. And uh, I have this chapter called The Other 99%. Like, what does God think of those people? And, and you know, who had their own religions, if any, you know? Yeah. So what does God do about that? And it makes you, it relativizes the biblical story, which is a very narrow scope and slice of the human experience, even if it claims to talk about, like you said, creation at 6,000 years ago, yeah. that's not that's not helpful for, for our modern mindset. So um, so I, I think that made makes me think about, well, what is, how does God view everything? Yeah. You know, all of God's creation. And, you know, I have a section on, um, the size of the cosmos and the light year distances and the number of galaxies. And especially now with the, the Webb space telescope, the yeah. James Webb t- space telescope. And it's, it's so, it so relativizes our existence. And mm-hmm. so how do I think of God in this huge universe? And, you know, it's hard to say things like, well, God is up there looking down because there is no up there. And what does it mean for God to be looking anywhere? Mm-hmm. Is God located in one area of this universe or is God somehow connected with everything at the same time? And I've become something of a panentheist, um, which many Christians are, but not not a pantheist where everything is God, but a panentheist is where God is in all things, and all things are in God. God is not creation. God is separate from creation, but yet God is intimately connected with all matter, literally all matter, including rocks, everything. God's just there. Like I don't know how else to put it hmm. based on what little we know about the universe, which is still a lot more than the biblical writer. So yeah. that's changed things a lot. And then quantum physics, forget it. We can't even talk about that. Who understands it? But it does present a cosmos that is run on things like indeterminacy, chaos, unpredictability, um, relationality. It's it. I mean, so many things have come up and it's so weird. You need a new math to explain it. Yeah. And you know, it's almost like you have two universes, the, the universe we know of the big things, then of the little things. Yeah. And if God exists, we we need the language we use needs to account for how we understand physical reality. Yeah. 
And that's this thing that goes back, which we'll, we'll get into, but the biblical writers thought the way too. The heavens yeah. declare the glory of God. Yeah, yeah. I think they do. Yeah. It's just now it's freaking us out a little bit more because the heavens are much bigger than we thought they were. Yeah. And they're not where we thought they were. <laughs> not where we and there may be multiple universes. Why not? Right. Just parallel totally parallel heavens, right? The whole nine yards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, Pete, we're just about out of time, but this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to join me and uh, thank you thank you for your encouragement with the podcast and your friendship i really appreciate you sure glenn it's been a lot of fun glad i had a chance to come out with you yeah me too and we'll do it again sometime on maybe sure yeah wish i had a mansion wish i was dressed up fancy wish i on a pot also go with the rainbow by the time clancy wishing i had no debt maybe then i can't flex go ahead and run i'm a check wish i had no other sand most beating on my chest Wishing for my people. Uh, we should have more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own picture. We bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown. Love, we go ahead and dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride, did this beat neat, everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys. Hey. Carolina Rose on freeze. Hey. Wishing I could fly to the keys. Hey. That will be more free. Hey. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Uh. So, Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it